Hey guys, this is the Tomato Tomato Podcast. Interlinked. It's a podcast about movies. Cells within cells. Not cells within cells. It's really about movies and the way that they're reviewed. And we use Rotten Tomatoes as a resource in order to kind of talk about movies. Interlinked. Interlinked. Cells. I think that was perfect in in us just being absolutely ridiculous. For the listeners, we came up with that bit about five minutes ago. We probably could have rehearsed it more because I can't keep a <laughs> Who needs that? face. But also, spontaneity is fun. So you just heard that. So if you heard what Chris was saying and that did make sense to you, then you are in the right place because it fits right into the movie that we're talking about today. If that sounded like absolute gibberish to you, you either fell asleep during the movie that we're talking about today or you have (laughs) not seen it yet. I guess we should introduce ourselves. I'm Jenna, one of your usual co-hosts, and joining me is my other co-host and possibly a replicant. I am the Cells Within Cells guy, Chris. <laughs> just change your Twitter bio to the Cells I Within should, Cells guy. I should, just Cells Within Cells, interlinked, <laughs> possibly replicant. <laughs> and just have everyone else in your life just be like, what the hell happened to yeah. Chris? Did he join us? They a cult? do that anyway, so it's no different than any other day. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fair. But, but yeah, if you haven't figured out what we're talking about today or you don't read the episode description on, or like the title of an episode, we are talking about Blade Runner 2049. So, or 2049, apparently that's I like, say 2049. Apparently that's like the way people are pronouncing it who worked on the movie. And I get it, I, but I'm also like, it's 2049. No, 20, 2049. They, they can stop being pretentious. <laughs> Come on. They were <laughs> being kidding. pretentious with it. So if you were listening to last week's episode, we covered the original Blade Runner. It was Chris's first foray into the world of Blade Runner. It was. (laughs) If you haven't listened to that, you should go back and listen. It's easily one of our top 10 episodes. (laughs) Because it's our 10th episode. They don't need to know that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, seriously, that was like, that was the, I I had the most fun with that episode. (laughs) Um, this episode might one up it, but the, like that was the most like fluid discussion that we've had in a long while, and I I was really excited by how that turned out. But so, if you heard us last episode, we talked about Blade Runner. Chris had not seen it before; he did not, not like it necessarily. I had some thoughts on that movie. He had a lot of thoughts. He had a lot of feelings. He didn't know what to do with because it was like the immediate reaction to this movie. It was the very immediate. Like we had started talking about that like maybe half hour after we had finished watching it yeah and you're just like what am i even doing? so i was like as i was talking about it it was me processing it so that's why it seemed like i was incoherent at points <laughs> and also very pessimistic <laughs> yes <laughs> about just like what is this movie what are we doing i hate you ridley damn it ridley <laughs> and so on and so forth ridley, ridley. Yeah, so ask me and again in a year my my thoughts on it so i was going to say this feels like 2049 feels like a movie i would be willing to watch this like once a year and cover it because there's so much i feel like we're not going to even scratch the surface in this episode oh, no. there's so much to it and i could talk about this movie for a long time if you haven't seen blade runner 2049 already um it's the follow-up to Blade Runner. Also, from... please don't listen to this episode. 
please just, if you have any interest in going to go see the movie, don't listen to us beforehand because Yeah, the movie, we're going to put like thoughts in your brain and expectations and... And spoilers and all of that stuff. Whereas when Chris and I both went into this movie, we knew as little as humanly possible and... Which I did intentionally and unintentionally. Yeah. Um, just because there's, there's so much going on already yeah. that I just, I, I didn't go out of my way to watch trailers or mm -hmm. anything for it so i pretty much went in completely blind yeah i had seen the trailers because they would like play before stuff and whatever and i had seen the first one whenever it came out but it was one of those things where i didn't actively search for it because i knew if i did i would somehow ruin the experience for myself and i like i wanted to know as little as humanly possible because i knew that was kind of my experience with the first blade runner i didn't really know what it was about i didn't know if i would like it or not i just knew it was harrison ford and robots and then i just watched it and went from there and i feel like this yeah, is that a, was kind of the, the experience i had yeah. with the first one yeah but i feel like this one is almost more of that experience because there is so much to unpack but you do not get any of it from the trailer if this is your first episode the con the general conceit of our podcast which i tried to explain during cells interlinked was <laughs> that we take a movie and we look at its performance on rotten tomatoes and we look at the general score that it has we look at the audience score and then we go through and pick out three reviews that were written about the movie and are housed on the rotten tomatoes page and we pick one that conforms to our opinion and two that contradict it so that we are hearing kind of what the opposite side of view is about a particular movie so with and this we one their their merits if uh, if they had valid criticisms or not and we use it kind of as a jumping off point to then have our own discuss our own opinions yes exactly also when i was pulling up because i'm using my old computer when i was pulling up rotten tomatoes earlier today i had the page for crank saved and it made me kind of nostalgic i was like my, my heart got a little happy for a second thinking about our our pilot episode but yeah so this movie on rotten tomatoes has it's a certified percent rating of 89 percent that is 8.2 average it's that's high. It's high. I was happy that it got this high. There are people that I know who definitely expected it to be higher. Like, I've talked to people I, about this. I'm not this. surprised by that. Yeah, I've talked to people about this who have been like, oh, is this going to be, like, one of those situations where you can't find a rotten review about this movie? And I was like, no, they exist. They're just, you just few and far between. You just got to dig a little bit more. Yeah. But so 89% I think is really good in terms of like other sequels that have come out this year. I think that fares way yeah. better. And especially for like a kind of franchise that has not been around for a very long time. Well, and especially when the original one was so poorly received, like when it first On came its initial out, release. Yeah. Like that very first showing of it, it would not have like 89 would have been a dream for the first Blade Runner when it first came out. Um, oh yeah. Obviously it's gotten like a better score and a better perception of it over time. But like that first release and it's kind of what's happening with this one is like, it's underperforming in the box office and it's like, which I was kind of surprised by. I thought it would have been a little bit better. I think part of it is kind of that when we talked about this a little bit in our mini so I think it's like that brand awareness thing where if you don't know the Blade Runner franchise you're not necessarily going to jump in 
Um, yeah. Because you know that it's kind of hard to jump in. I know, like, your mom asked, can I watch the second one without seeing the first? And you were like, and I said, no. no. <laughs> so, and, like... You you need to have seen the first yeah. one. Well, and, like, even my, my parents, like, one of them wanted to go, but my mom had never seen it. And my, and then my dad had seen it when it came out and was like, is that enough of an understanding to be able to go see the sequel? (laughs) And I'm like, oh God, no. So, so then I just went by myself and had fun with that. But yeah, it, it, I can, I can understand why it's performing the way that it is. It almost feels like history repeating itself, but I'm, I'm not worried about it because I personally resonated with this movie so much. And I know that a lot of other people did, and I know that it'll be exactly like the original where it's like, as time progresses, this will be, it'll, like a, it'll, get, it'll have a stronger following. It'll, I don't want to, I don't know if it's a cult <laughs> thing. It is. Yeah, I think it is because oh yeah. I mean, I think That's... I think it'll be like it, it's not even really a cult classic. It's just like it'll be revered as a good movie. That I don't think mm. the poor box office performance is like reflective of how good or bad it is. I just think people like don't have the mindset necessarily to go watch a three hour movie. Yeah, no, the, that's definitely a a hard enough sell already. Yeah, uh, despite the. Uh, critic consensus on rotten tomatoes yeah saying it's visually stunning narratively satisfying uh 2049 deepens and expands its predecessor story while standing as an impressive filmmaking achievement in its own right which i completely wholeheartedly agree with i i agree with you (laughs) despite what you may remember from yeah uh my thoughts on the original Blade Runner. Well, so I wanted to I... go into that because you because you saw well, it before I did, and I asked you to give a one sentence review because I remember the entire time you were in there, I was sitting at home going, "Oh God, what if he hates it? Oh God, I'm gonna like this is gonna be sad if I love this movie <laughs> and he hates it. I don't know what we're gonna do." But then I asked you for your one sentence review, and it was so like perfectly worded and optimistic. I forget because I try to find the best way it was to work it was accurate it. it was vague and it was very reflective of like what i was hoping you would get out of it and it made me really happy that i'm gonna find it just for posterity's sake yeah i'm looking for it too after i had left the the movie for 2049 you had asked me for a one sentence review of it and I carefully worded this to you to avoid spoilers <laughs> and to not kind of put expectations in your head mm-hmm. Uh, but I told you uh, 2049 tackles the ideas and themes better than the original and is beautifully shot and acted. I knew your biggest gripe with it was the plot like of the original. Like and The original, God. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into Ridley. that. I spent an hour in that Ridley. Ridley. God well, did damn you know it. that Ridley almost directed this? I w- I d- we'll get into yeah. that. <laughs> That's in the reviews. I had forgotten about but that, so- but yeah. Should we just go into yes. the reviews? Because like, I think we'll just, like, our thoughts and stuff will come Also, out the audience score is 82%. So it's about in line with the tomato meter. And that's actually higher than I would expect for it being a movie that's so long and that people don't know what the hell they're getting into. So. Well, I think it's kind of like we touched on it before with a lot of other ones, that if you like this movie, you're going to go. That's true. And let other know, uh, you're going to let other people know that you like it. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. So, all right, which review do we want to tackle first? 
uh let's do rotten fresh rotten yeah so i think the slant one was the one that you said no to just on general concept but i know the national review one you said there was a one line in there that we could like pinpoint for a long time so i would do slate first or slant that's what i mean slant yeah slate slant tomato tomato hey hey Yes, so the first review that we're going to talk about comes from Slant. This one is rotten, and the reviewer gives it two out of five. Two out of four. Two out of four stars. So that that kind of lays in the Rotten Tomatoes conundrum of like, is this a two out of four good or two out of four bad? Two out of four. Because that's what it can go either way. That could mean it's enjoyable, but not the best, but also, this is bad. It's reviewing is subjective well, and when, it's, when you're on a four-star scale i think it really kind of screws you over because it just reminds me of that it really it reminds does. me of that bit on futurama where it's just like i feel nothing about like i forget what the quote uh, is but it's just like, <laughs> i feel strongly no way yeah or i the feel other. strongly no way or the other and if you go to the youtube page for that clip it's like the, the same likes number are of likes and even. dislikes yep. it's like that's exactly what it is is it's like i can't tell just based on a numeric scale how this reviewer exactly. feels about it so i have to read their review yeah, you, again, we talked about this before. You need you need to pay attention to the nuanced, full written reviews and not just stars and checks and percentages. Yeah. But so this review, I'm surprised that you said no to it because... The, the, well, the there opening, are a few things in this the one. The opening paragraph, I think it, it nails down a lot of your problems with the original. With it, so, uh, so Denny... We tried the, so hard. Denis we Villeneuve. we spent goddamn five minutes trying to figure out how to say his we name, Googled and I really can't do hard. it now. Denis Villeneuve. We uh, literally spent five minutes going. We are not going to be pretentious white people who can't pronounce his name, and then now we're recording and we can't pronounce his name. And we name. can't. I forgot it. How did I forget I it? I don't know. You pulled up. Oh my I don't god. Know. But so Denny. We're just calling so, him Denny. So Denny. It it's like Denny, um, read my mind, yeah. uh, and took all the criticisms I had. Uh, and address them all within a week for this obviously, movie cause... within a week after he had made the movie <laughs> but really though like as i was watching it i did have a moment to myself where i was like this nails everything chris hated about the original it really does um i'm not gonna like go through all of those uh just because well, i know as but I like before, as they come up goddamn hour as they come up yeah uh so getting into the the slant review uh he he kind of goes on and says that he's so drunk on his uh, now iconic set design that he barely questions the stories, classist society. That's about Ridley. It's not about Denny. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going off my notes. Um, that's why I have the oh, whole I, one. I like this context. one bit. I like this one bit in okay. the slant review where he says, "Self-consciously woke." Yes, I liked that too. I, but I also kind of hated it. Me too. It's a love-hate like, thing. I'm like, I get that. I get what you're saying, but, I, but you're also you're also kind of attacking me as a person. Yeah, <laughs> I like you find you have that thought and feel about it. Um, I get where the sentiment is coming from, but I don't agree with it. But I, I it's, think it's, no, I think like I think the... they mean self consciously woke in a way of like it could be overwhelmingly woke but instead it's like toying the line with how it choose like it's very deliberate with how it chooses to be woke which this is the most i've said woke in the span of a minute <laughs> well because in the he goes on to say that 2049's racial text is off uh off plumbed by the horror and sci-fi genres uh but with far more success okay. with 
Jordan Peele's Get Out. I hated that sentence because of the end of the sentence that you did not say. (laughs) And Rupert Sanders' Ghost in the Shell. I'm like, bullshit. You should not put Get Out and Ghost in the Shell in the same sentence in a positive way. Just because they came out around the same time does not even mean the same thing. That'd be like saying that Wild Wild West and Boys Don't Cry deal with gender roles the same way like that's bullshit (laughs) it really is ghost in the shell does not belong anywhere near those two films uh (sighs) and 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 being compared um so i reject that was one of the things that made me say no to this review yeah me too that was the moment where i was like okay this is so this is such a misstep for me that we like have to talk about this because i don't (laughs) understand how you can even compare ghost in the shell to blade runner of course we we say this as people who have not sat through ghost in the shell because who needs white savior bullshit no one needs to sit through that movie but and no one did yeah good point but yeah it Like, I I do agree with the general sentiment of that sentence, particularly using Get Out as an example, because it's like there there are like that same sort of racial divide has been tackled in movies, but it's not it's done in varying ways. And I think the way that it's done in 2049 is something else. It is. I think it takes it one step, just one step further than the original. Yes. But still doesn't go far enough in uh bringing out the racial subtext i don't although it's not are, even although subtext do, it's kind of just in the background the, the text it's it's just text yeah. honestly but okay so i just googled the movie because i wanted to figure out something and there's an article from wired that pops up and it says our audience is too lazy to appreciate blade runner 2049 and i'm like oh yes yes your answer is yes Wired. you didn't have to write ten thousand words on that seriously but okay so filming for this movie began in july that was what i was trying to make sure of and then production pre-production began in like 2015 oh wow like between 2015 and 2016 because like it says that gosling joined in 2015 and like robin wright and dave batista joined in like march of 2016 but so that kind of like part of it is i think it coming out now puts it in a different context that wasn't intended when it was originally made that like i think we've regressed as a society that all of a sudden stuff like this becomes a little more poignant whereas it necessarily it was still this giant allegory but it wasn't a thing that felt real the way that it kind of does now oh definitely yeah so that was kind of my thought with that was just like it because you do have to take that into account with movies where it's like when they were making this, what were they thinking at that point in time? And like, what was the, what did the world look like at that point in time? Kind of. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they intended to have uh, that much resonance. I think they were just kind of taking the world of the original and kind of not expanding on it, but kind of continuing the message. And making kind of a different story at the same yeah. time. Cause it's an, I don't, I see it as a continuation, but I also don't i feel like it's enough of its own plot to really i don't know like it, but you also need it the, the context of the first one helps enhance definitely the story and, yeah and the the impact of it all yeah um, so yeah going back to the slant review um let's see 
uh, another bit I pulled from this if it says if k's endless loneliness gave us a case of the sads it must mean <laughs> that we're empathetic people motherfucker they're called feels <laughs> the no sads. one calls them the sads the get the sads. fuck out of here they're called feels <laughs> get with it i am a millennial and you are getting my terminology wrong <laughs> but no he really so, is though so i'm trying to remember what point in uh I'm just going to say that Kay's loneliness uh, did give me the sads. And and the feels. And the feels. Well, because it is like, I the reaction that I had in this movie, I was so freaking satisfied when in like minute five, they reveal that he's a replicant. Me I neither. Like, I, fucking I needed, thank you. I, I needed a minute to kind of process that because I was like, I was like, like they're actually, they, they confirmed it. That like isn't and so passively it's just there and i well because like there's the moment in the beginning scene where he wakes up in the in the car and then he goes to dave batista and the way that like even just like the way that he wakes up almost had this robotic tendency to it and i was like if, if they're gonna fucking blue ball this like blue ball us again the entire movie and not say whether or not ryan gosling's character is a replicant <laughs> i'm gonna be so mad because and I i'm need so answers. glad they did and then yeah they do it and it's- it completely and in such a natural re- way and not he, like a huge reveal. And it completely re, like gives this movie a completely different context that you didn't have going in. Exactly. You, you like I had to reassess the way I was watching this movie. Yeah, because you basically thought if you had just seen like a trailer or two and had just gone in, you would basically think that that he was right, a human that he was a human and he's the the proxy kind of for deckard and then they're kind of retelling the same story but with different players kind of but instead they just completely turn it on its head and give exactly what we were griping about last episode where it's like give me a story about a replicant hunting replicants and how they and feel as a person <laughs> and oh it and made me this, so happy it, me too um denny and uh mr gosling humanized k slash joe so much that uh, in in no way my, my boy that ridley could ever do with the original he's he's my sweet boy and i want to give him the world because he was just such a good character he really was it made me so happy because he was so like yes it was this like noir detective kind of trope to an extent but like there's a whole article i'll link to it in the comments but it's a there's this whole article from vulture that's kind of dissecting um like k's version of masculinity versus deckard's version of masculinity which are night and day almost exactly and how fascinating it is that with that short of a gap of time our version of like the masculine noir hero is completely different and i think you could the the there are there's one scene for each character that i think kind of defines that what we're talking about the the idea of their masculinity yeah and the one from the original is deckard's and rachel's i'm doing air quotes love scene <laughs> love scene yeah compared to k's uh love scene love scene okay with so his robotic uh ted on ted on ted <laughs> So I was surprised that they went with that dynamic as well. Like that was, I was surprised at how many times this movie genuinely shocked me because there was the, like I said, there was a thing with the replicant and then when he gets home and then you realize, oh shit, he has a hologram like wife. I love that because I feel like that's also kind of speaks to uh, like today's like we live through 
AI in virtual reality and how much we want it to be real. Yeah. And it like I really love that. And he he wants to uh, bring the AI to life. And he's not. I mean, he's just a robot. But and it's not robot even. Is, and it's not even the main plot of the movie. No. Like, and I, I love it. It's so good. It's just so good that you pack it's, that in there and give this whole other context to the situation and to this movie's like version of female representation and whatever. And like it, I, oh, it made me so happy. And then part of why I yeah. picked this review, because I'll go into a bit from it that kind of resonated with me, because I, I was like, there were a couple things in this review that like were thoughts I had independently had, like independently had, and then this counteracted it. Or yes, at least I think it up I, I think I know way. the bit that counteracts what we're saying. So, um, <clears throat> is it the bit where it says in a subplot that's distractingly indebted yes. to Spike Jones, her K's in love with joy and adoring hologram? So, I don't think it's distracting at all. I think you need that. I needed that because that it, was severely lacking in the first one. I needed is, to have that emotional connection. Uh, I need to know that this replicant can be human and feel and isn't just. A crazed murder machine well and it isn't even like it, it's like the thing with deckard's wife like what was supposed to like what's apparently in the book of like having a thing that's already established it's not like a meat cute kind of thing that happens over the course of the movie it's like he's been with joy for god knows how long and, and I, I love it that, and cause... they have a good rapport yeah. and relationship well, i think so... anna de armas she killed it oh so good but so like my my main thing with that was it referencing her, because have you seen that movie? I I have not, but I'm aware of it. I know the the crux of that movie. Okay, well, so there, that movie is a completely different const- like construct of this kind of like AI versus physical person kind of dynamic yeah. sort of thing. But it's and it plays more like a rom com because it ultimately ends with like Scarlett Johansson, who's the AI, basically being like oh, well, I've been talking to other people around the same time that I've been talking to you. And so, like, you're not the only thing in my life, even though I'm the only thing in yours. And it's this <laughs> depressing as fuck thing. But the thing that's crazy to me is that there is basically an exact scene. And I know another one of the reviews mentions this as well. There's there's the exact scene of I'm going to hire someone to have sex with you and you're going to think it's me. But it's yeah. done in this way that's really weird because... In in her, she like they hire a girl who comes to his apartment, and the weird thing is is that it's Angela from Mr. Robot. <laughs> <laughs> so just visualize that scene in your mind, her making yes. out with Joaquin Phoenix in a weird mustache. But so, and they like have like she has like an earpiece in her ear, and she's just not really talking. And then they kind of go out, go through the whole thing like that. But then this was like a leveled up weird version of that that i didn't know i needed i was like this is fucking fascinating how they were handling that whole scene because it (laughs) like it was visual whereas the other scene in her was much more auditory because the whole thing is auditory it's just him like talking to a voice siri a disembodied siri but so it was like it was exactly the same scene but in a completely different context and it had a completely different significance on the movie because like in her that was like the like a big pivotal part of the movie in this movie he's just like 
cool. I got my dick kind of wet. I'm gonna go move on. <laughs> like that was that was good. Thank you. But I and I love you. But like we need to go do shit now. Yes. And I thought that was really interesting because it it was this weird approach to it that I almost I I don't know if it was deliberate or not. But I I love that it was this weird like homage to that movie. Me too. I I I love their. If the whole movie was just them two, yes, I would have been content with that because <sighs> I it would it still has more emotion than the original yeah i love how she goes back and forth between being that kind of stereotypical 50s mm-hmm. housewife and it's like oh hey honey put your feet up here's dinner read to me all that yeah. sort of thing but it's yeah. very human but there's like there's no sense of like an uncanny valley no it would like it, I, uh, and then that scene in the rain where she oh like God. oh that was so good and it and it's so fascinating that they threw that in there to then have like here's Kay dealing with his humanity and lack thereof and all of that sort of stuff and then at the same time joy is also dealing with that from a completely different context and yeah and like i think this is the review that talks about it where it's kind of like this weird relationship where it's like he benefits from her being imprisoned which then is this weird like role reversal of him being the prisoner which I like agree with. I don't think they hammered that home to where it was like uncomfortable. Yeah, but... they they were very. I don't know if it was intentional for them to kind of make sure the relationship wasn't creepy or one sided. Like yeah. in the original, where you have Deckard assaulting Rachel. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't anything like that. Yeah. Uh, between Kay and Joy. Like it felt it felt very like natural and real. And then you get that scene with the giant version of her. Yes. That, Oh my God. I, but I think we're jumping ahead. We can get to that later. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. What else in this review did you want to talk about? Uh, another, what was another bit I had? Um, 2049 has made, uh, 2049 has been made with impeccable craftsmanship and taste, yet the film is so terrified of disreputability that it renders itself dead from the waist down and able to derive pleasure from even a theoretically kinky robot three-way. I, I like how that's worded, but I don't agree. Me neither. It's, it's like, like, yeah, we get it. You read the dictionary, buddy. <laughs> but, like, part of it is I think there are people who wanted, like, passion in it and more like raw emotion even though this movie gives you way more fucking raw emotion than anything than in the, the original yes like it's so genuine in... i don't see how it can be considered dead from the waist down i yeah like i not to beat a dead horse but this one has more emotion um than the uh what do you call them replicants in the first one yeah and like and it makes you putting Kay in the context that he's in and establishing that he's a replicant very early on completely shifts the entire view of the world. The way I wonder that... what it w- I wonder what the effect would have been like if they had told us that Kay was a replicant, like at the end of the movie or after uh, the fact. Uh, what our perception of it would have been with I would have like, gone oh. in thinking it was Deckard Jr. Basically, like exactly. I would have thought he would have been a human, and I would not have liked it as much as I liked this because I think the. They were smart to tell us from the beginning that he is a replicant. And like going into the uncharted territory of like, how do you feel having someone else's memories implanted in you? And whereas Rachel's just kind of like, 
I have these memories. I don't know if they're mine. What do I do? Like, in, in exactly. this one, it's, it's so much... bland the way she handles it. But with Kay, you can feel the the anger and the confusion. But I feel he's... like, yeah, I feel like with Rachel, part of the whole crux of Rachel, I think, is A, the time that the movie was made. Because it's like the female and character Ridley. sort of thing. And Ridley. And also just the like pro-clone nature of it of like I've been trained to be detached from my emotions and whatever but then you get this movie and you get this whole significance of every replicant that you see having so much emotion and even like love is so like genuinely feeling emotions even though she's yes. basically the Rachel of this movie and in and, and this one we kind of get a peek into where this emotion comes from yeah from these memories and I love where uh, these memories come from. Uh, I'm like, we need and to it, talk about it at the very end. Yeah. It's just like, uh, I, it makes me so happy. So I'm trying to think so, of what else there was in Slant. that. Um, that's really all I had. I like the argument that, like, the whole analysis of the different Los Angeleses. Because this does... This, I mean, does it, not, this does not feel like the Los Angeles from the original. And part of it, I think, is that everything's shot from such a distance. Like, there's not really, like, there's there's a couple of scenes of him, like, in the city, but it's not really, like, it's not like in the original where it's, like, following Deckard as he's walking through it wasn't, X, Y, It didn't feel as claustrophobic. Exactly. There's, like, a more openness to it. And, like, this review kind of says, perhaps this future Los Angeles has also been gentrified over the course of time that's elapsed since Blade Runner, which is kind of true in an extent and it's but and it's an easy way of like handling the um the like time that's passed and the technology that they have to make this movie and whatever like it's an easy thing to attribute it to without just being like and that's another thing too that i gotta give a shout out to denny is that with sequels like this when there's so many years between them yeah it, it could be very easy to kind of really jump the look in technology yeah. to be super futuristic but he does a good job of kind of uh, logically upgrading the technology but still being within the world of Blade Runner because mm-hmm. I feel like going off kind of another Ridley Scott thing you look at Prometheus that's set before Aliens but they have this super advanced technology that doesn't exist yeah. in in the first Alien movie well, and it's also, like, Star Trek Discovery. Like, there's been this whole weird, like, wormhole, like, concept of, like, okay, so your your uniforms are different, your technology is better, but you're also set, like, five years before the original yeah. series where everything is dinky as shit. So it's, like, they've gone to all these weird lengths to try to explain it, and I always find that fascinating when you're telling something from, like, a large distance of time away from the original. So now we're going to revisit a classic outlet uh from this podcast for another review <laughs> real views Woo! we end up I, picking this outlet so much really because do. they write about everything they really <laughs> do they they get around they they see a lot of movies uh and this one it's positive yeah uh they have a lot of good things to say a lot of things that i agree with me uh, too yeah for the most part i mean it would it just echoes kind of what our thoughts are mm-hmm. um I like this this review kind of highlights the the weird nature of the like the original having so many cuts and it makes me think that I've gone back and forth about whether or not I would want to see a different cut of this movie I don't 
I would benefit from seeing deleted scenes or like extra footage. I would want to see Ryan like Gosling what... voiceover. Okay, so there's a there there <laughs> is not the voiceover. There is a bit of trivia. I was looking at the Blade Runner subreddit last night <laughs> in preparation for this episode, and I found something that was really exciting. So there is an eight minute long take that was shortened down for the movie that is just Ryan Gosling coming up with the test himself. Wow. Yeah. I want to see that. Me too. I'm like, I need that on the Blu-ray or whatever. I would watch the shit out of that. Me too. Because it's just a one-sided thing and it's just him. Like, because he ended up writing the entire thing because he was just kind of saying it as he was going along. Yeah, he was the one saying the responses and then... Like, the, what was in the movie was written in the script, but then they also tried the, this other take of it, which was him saying the responses, and then they were going to kind of write the content around that. That's, wow, I really like that. Because the whole thing, uh, I, like, I had done a little bit of research. The test thing, I can't remember the name, is based off of this. The baseline. Yeah, it's like, but it's it's based off of this real thing in, like, theater training, and like oh. there's all these different like people who have done that that like there was one person in the comments who was like yeah i did this with like the entire text of hamlet or whatever and it's kind of this weird i don't know exactly how it works but it's like that weird word association sort of thing and you can do that with like a lot of other things and it has roots in things beyond this movie which i thought was really fascinating See, I, yeah i thought this was a wholly kind of original thing to the movie um but i that kind of adds a whole new layer yeah. of context to that test. Well, because those scenes are so, they're, uh, they're so like raw and just weirdly genuine. Even though you're watching and a they're robot quick paced, like you're just thrown like, into them. Yes, but like you're watching a robot recalibrate, and it somehow is like this very genuine, like intense thing that you're like fully immersed in. And it's like I can tell there would be people who would see that movie and not like that, but they would be I like, I don't get it. what is going on. I thought I, it was great. I loved it. I thought it was the perfect, and it and it's this like natural escalation from the Voight Camp test in the original movie, where it's just like yes. asking Rachel all the questions that may or may not mean something. Like this felt like a more, like. I don't know how to, I don't know the word for it, but like a way to kind of condense that down, which seemed like what the whole police station was kind of doing of like, how can we make shit like as efficient as possible? Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really cool. And it's stuff like that that makes me agree with this bit from the review that says it's a credit to the film's storytelling that we don't become impatient for Deckard's return. Yes, exactly. Because I, like, I, I completely forgot that he was. There were points <laughs> in the movie where he was like, "Oh yeah, Deckard's supposed to show up at some point," but yeah. I just didn't care. I didn't need him. I appreciated honestly, that he point. was there. His his presence was felt in the movie without him being there throughout the whole movie. But I also didn't need his presence there the whole time. Like it was, it was the right amount where I. Could, it would have been too distracting yeah, if he was there for more. That would have been a buddy cop movie. Like it wouldn't have been Ryan Gosling's story. Like. And I'm surprised that more people didn't expect that or want that or fault it for wanting that. Like, oh, we're going to get a team up with Kay and Deckard. Because that's totally how they sell it. I like it if, is. if you if you were believing what like Joe trailer cut from the movie basically and put in the trailers, you would think it's like they find Deckard at the end of the, the first act. And then the entire movie is them like outrunning everybody. But, but we don't meet him till two thirds of the way in. Yeah. Like the end of the second act. 
And even then, you're rooting against Deckard because you're like, "Don't you dare kill my boy!" <laughs> like, I know you're, I know you're in your weird casino and like haven't dealt with people for twenty years, but like, no, <laughs> lay your hands off of him. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. And there was even a bit um, between Kay and Deckard that I I liked, kind of going off to of something we just talked about, where he's like, oh, "What are you doing here?" He's like, oh, "I just want to ask you some questions." Yeah. It's like, ah, uh, uh. gonna see if he's a thingy um it is so and another thing that the uh review says which we kind of touched on earlier i think uh ridley scott was unavailable <laughs> to direct due to a conflict with alien covenant due so to making you. michael fassbender play have sex with himself and play the recorder so thank you for that it's the the two good things to come out of alien covenant are that and fassbender flute and him being unavailable to direct this because this movie would have been much worse. There are three things. Those two things and that Funko Pop that is Don't Talk to Me or My Son Ever Again. That pop is so stupid. I love it. I'm not going to buy it ever. Well, and it was this big deal that it came out because it like apparently got shipped early and then people had, like the movie hadn't come out yet and then they're like, oh yeah, people oh, were fuck, like upset. Xenomorph has a baby and the Funko Pop just spoiled it. And it's like, well... The warehouse fucked up. Sorry. <laughs> but it was just the funniest thing to me that people got like that vehemently angry about it. But yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm glad Ridley. Thank did not you, Ridley. This. I would not I don't want to think about what Ridley's version of this movie would have been. Much less nuanced. Oh, it would have been so bad. Yeah, because uh, as the real view says, one of the most successful aspects of this approach is the way he addresses the great unresolved mystery of Blade Runner, mm-hmm. which being is Deckard a replicant? But he also at, doesn't. But at no point during this movie, I, 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 it wasn't relevant. No, I didn't think about it. I didn't need the answer. I thought and, about which it, which is funny because <laughs> the last episode we were saying we need an answer. You were very vehemently <laughs> uh, driving home that point that you needed an answer. Well, because my point was like, I don't see this movie. I don't see this being a thing where we get like a trilogy and then the answer, like no. where we get an answer in the third one. I I see now that I've seen Blade Runner, like now that I've seen twenty forty nine, I have the belief, and I think. I think Michael Green was the one who had said this in an interview the other day. He kind of compared it to early, early stages of the MCU where when they made Iron Man, they weren't necessarily wanting to build an entire thing around it. Like they, they didn't have the level of trajectory that Marvel obviously has now. They that were like they were just building around kind of a, one single story. Yeah, and it's like with if an we, emotional if, core. To yeah, it. and it's like if we can add on to this story, we will, but we don't have to. And that was kind of they the were context just focusing on the here and now. Yeah, and that was the kind of the context with this is it's like we're not going to make a gigantic star wars trilogy kind of thing but we are going to make it to where this is a continuation of the story and if someone wants to take this and make something else onto it they can but it's not our goal which i think is really like an interesting tactic because you don't see that in like the sequels and reboots and everything that happens now i think like i think other studios would be trying to milk this and turn it into something it's not well and like there's this did you have you heard of or seen any of the shorts that came alongside this i have not i need to 
look those up. I haven't watched them yet. I didn't really get the time to, but there's like three shorts that came out. There's one that is a like anime short and it's about, it's like a prequel. It's set in between the original and 2049 and it kind of deals with a replicant that's on the run. I think it's like around, I could totally be wrong. Someone's probably screaming at their phone right now, but I think it's around when the blackout happens and it's kind of dealing with that. And then, okay. and then there's, so there's that animated one, which kind of tells like the connective tissue sort of story if you want it. And then there's a short about Wallace. And then there's a short about Dave Batista's character trying to save a family while like the Blade Runners are hunting him. Interesting. Yeah. So, I'll it, definitely have to yeah, watch those. so it kind of gives it like this shared, I don't know. It's like extended material. It's not mandatory but you can watch it if you want to which i think is a really cool yeah kind of tactic with that where it's like supplementary yeah exactly and it's like my it's not like i watched those beforehand and that affected my thing of the movie i didn't know they existed until yesterday (laughs) but it still didn't impact like how i resonated with the characters or whatever Uh but and it was like all denny's idea kind of to do that which i think is really cool Way to go, Denny. Yeah. I, uh, he's freaking great. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen Arrival. I totally slept on Arrival because it was one of those Same. things where everyone was like, go see it in the theater. It's the most important movie out right now. And I never had the time. And then it got out of the theater and I felt awful. <laughs> so Me I'll, too. I'll, I completely missed it. I'll, I'll catch it on demand we'll, or we'll something. We'll cover it at some point and probably love it because from my understanding, everyone loves it. But I did see Sicario, which I totally forgot that he directed. And oh, that was him too? It's freaking I slept on that one it's too. It's fucking great. It's so great. It was one of those things where I I had like a, I, every year when I was in college, it was like, how many of the Oscar nominees can I watch? And so <laughs> Sicario was one of those ones. It wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I think like someone was nominated for, I think it was like Benicio Del Toro was nominated for Supporting Actor. And then it got a bunch of technical nominations. And then I watched it and I was like, this is more interesting than any of the Best Picture <laughs> nominees that I have already seen. What the hell? Because it's, that's the thing. He's into these like raw, like human stories, but they're in such completely different context in dealing with things that people wouldn't necessarily humanize. And I just love that. I love that that's kind of his touch as a filmmaker. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what he does, uh, to see what he does next. Now that he's on my radar, yeah, and I have a sense of his own sensibilities and tastes. So, and I, yeah. I, I like it. So he, I remember writing about this forever ago before it was even a thing, but like before Blade Runner, like was even really on my radar as a sequel, but he, his dream is remaking Dune. Yeah, I, I know Dune is a whole can of worms, but I feel like he could do it. Oh yeah. I, after seeing this, I totally trust him to I do trust it. Him. I trust him with my firstborn. I'm like, I don't give I a really shit. I really do. <laughs> like, you can, you can do anything at this point. Like, I swear. But He he can handle big, crazy sci-fi out there ideas, but also 
grounding it emotionally. Yeah. Well, because, like, this review says, it's neither action-oriented science fiction nor space opera. In terms of approach, there's a lot of arrival in the DNA. The director wants view- viewers to think as well as experience. He values mystery and ambiguity. The ending is satisfying in all the right ways. Blah, 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 blah. There's a villain and other secondary elements, but they're a spice used to enhance the flavor rather than the main ingredient. Which I, like... It's so yeah, like spin- it's like we were saying with like the love story and all of the subplots that we get that don't feel cluttered. Superfluous. Yeah. It's like everything They all like the movie, yeah, it's long, but I really can't think of a scene or scenes that I would have cut they were Nothing. removed. Yeah, no. They all are necessary to the flow of the movie and contribute something. And it's like it feels like a more esoteric version of like the original Star Wars trilogy in terms of like we're hopping from place to place so, and visiting all these different things and whatever, but it doesn't feel unnecessary ever. So going off that comment, there's another yeah. thing in the real reviews where uh, the reviewer says, if one was to compare this to the Star Wars franchise, it's more like Empire, yes, which took chances than Force Awakens, which reworked previous themes and ideas. Yeah. Now, I love both of them. Yeah great movies love star wars but yeah empire took risks it was new it was the second movie in the franchise where force awakens is kind of a love letter and addressing its past well in force awakens it was like if we take risks that's what the phantom menace did yeah (laughs) it's like if we if we don't grip audiences with something that they like are going we're gonna hit them with nostalgia yeah exactly the nostalgia kind of helps to then be able to bring ryan johnson in and have him completely like throw everything in a blender so yeah it, it and i i totally agree with that like i expected this to be a force awakens type thing and i was absolutely delighted that it wasn't i, ex- I totally expected mirrors and parallels I knew, to the first one i knew i would be happy either way but i loved that it completely just took everything to another level same i'm glad it didn't kind of just rehash um scenes or dialogue or just little things and made it new but still being within that universe well and like yeah because everything there's elements like there's elements that definitely rhyme to an extent of like this feels somewhat similar to this but it also feels so distinctly different that there you you can make that comparison but then the next scene involving that character will completely counteract that and then you'll be like mm-hmm. oh fuck it's doing its own thing like i jared leto <laughs> we have not talked about jared leto no we haven't i am how do you mad. feel about him i am mad at jared leto that he had this in his repertoire and we got the joker that we currently have where was this Jared Leto? I am he, fucking mad at him because it's like he if did you are so capable, good in this. If you are capable of being this batshit crazy, weird of a villain, and not acting like you act like the Joker, but so, also I, uh, um, I think it's uh, uh, the directors. That's true. That's completely. I think that's true. a big part of it. But it also it's just like uh, it's mad. Like I'm. It frustrates me. His whole I, scene with Deckard. Fuck. was amazing and the whole because like, there were whole scene, stretches of, every, i thought there uh, were i uh, uh 
I forget what the scene was, but there was a point where I thought we wouldn't see him again. Yes. And then we saw him with the whole scene with Deckard and Rachel. I think it's like, I, I was so glad to see him on screen again because I thought we were done with him and we moved on. But, well, and it's yeah. fascinating to me that it's like, this is the big, presumably villain of the movie, but you see him in two scenes. But they do a such a they're, good job of establishing damn, him as a villain. Great scenes. That scene, because yeah. like that first scene, you you're like, oh, he's he like thinks he's a prophet, and here's all these things he's contributed, and blah 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 blah, and you just think he's like unsettling but not scary, and then he cuts open the replicant, and you're like, oh fuck. Yep. <laughs> and he wants to roll space. Yeah. But and like I can't remember if it was one of these reviews or something I read in the subreddit or whatever. But there like there are people who think that it's frustrating that the world wasn't really established outside of what we saw. But I'm like I did not need it to be. I see loved... that's kind of a thing I almost agree with. Yeah. I just feel like we saw enough of yeah. the world outside of L.A. Yeah, that it gave me just enough to where I I won't complain about that well but the, the point was really like well what about all the other worlds that they're on and like well, how... see you can see that in blade runner 2068 no, no. followed by blade runner 2130 just keep jumping the same amount of time <laughs> but no it's like i didn't need that i loved the ominous nature of it because then it makes it this thing where you kind of fill in the gaps in your brain because you've seen countless number of sci-fi movies where it's like this bright utopia that all the humans are in while everything's shit for the lower cast. It's like you just watch yeah. the fucking Matrix if you like yes. really want to revisit that. But this had what was relevant to Kay's life and nothing outside of that. And I thought yeah, that and, was and, really interesting. Uh, and, and going back to, to Leto's character, he, he is purposely... His whole character kind of drives a point that I thought was lacking in the first one was the whole slavery yes uh text not calling it subtext because it's text it's text of of creating uh, a disposable workforce to build a society and I really like that they kind of just put it out there and it's like yeah these are slaves we're gonna use them even though they're capable of thought and emotion and procreation yeah uh which I it was a great new bit to throw in the whole oh yeah we can breed with um robots now we can can we breathe with each or can we breed with each other or can we breed with humans that is the yeah. eternal question because the movie still doesn't really answer it and i don't mind <laughs> but Me yeah because it's like Cause, it's i just uh, yeah I, I just found everything that leto did to be fascinating i found and like the way that he uses the like audio recordings and stuff and then the scene with the with fake rachel and everything oh god yeah oh, that and... that is a that is a uh, another use of cgiing someone's face that i'm totally okay with i didn't mind it like kind of like the whole tarkin treatment yeah totally cool with it well okay so there was another article i'll link to it i know i have it bookmarked somewhere but it was this whole like it was this whole opinion piece about like in sci-fi sequels, men are allowed to age, but women have to be CGI'd out. Oh, blah, I saw blah, that. Blah, they blah. totally missed the point. They missed the point because then they saw they like cited Leia's cameo in Rogue One as another example, and I'm like, mm. I'm like, you're missing the point because that wasn't the point. The point with that was you couldn't have another like you had to have that version of Leia to end the story exactly. that way, and you had to have like. 
yeah, I don't necessarily, I'm not the biggest fan of fridging female characters, but when, like, in the context of this story, having the entire story be built on what happened to Rachel, I don't mind it, because I think this whole other narrative, like, spins from it that makes it way more interesting than if, like, she was alive and in the movie herself. It would have changed the whole plot of the movie and it would have gone a whole different way yeah had she been there yeah and like the and just the use of the uncanny valley and it wasn't really uncanny valley i like kept watching every time that like fake rachel was on screen i'm like is this gonna get weird is this gonna be like noticeably bad it never felt like that for me it was i think it worked for me and it was just uh so i think it was a good segue to jump into the last review yes uh, from national review yes uh, because going off the CGI, uh, <laughs> the National Review says, digitally speaking, we're <laughs> okay. at the opposite pause. pole. Pause. Was this the sentence you were talking about before? No. Okay. This was the sentence I thought you were talking about. As soon as I read this sentence, I was like, fuck it. We're using this review because this review has the perfect <laughs> anecdote that I completely agree with. <laughs> but yeah. But no, yeah. So this this review has a great anecdote. Um, digitally speaking. We're at the opposite pole from, say, Avengers Age of Ultron or X-Men Age, uh, Age of Apocalypse, in it's which the CGI was deployed as artfully as a toddler uses a mallet. I love that. I, I love, love that. that. Anything that, that digs at Age great. of Ultron and Apocalypse in the span of one sentence is like, oh, after my own heart. <laughs> and cool. it, it's so true, though. It's kind of like a CGI gore fest. It's like, we're going to just throw all this crazy stuff at you. Well, and it's not even like... It's so obviously fake in those movies. There's yes. never a moment where it feels authentic. It's like, okay, this, like, I'm watching Olivia Munn, like, skate down a cloud, basically, and then have her ninja swords and her, like, all that crap. I'm like, none of this is real. You and here's real. 20 billion uh, Ultron bots that you can tell are fake and... Chris Evans is just punching air. God. Okay, like, it was so funny. It's so funny how much hindsight has impacted Age of Ultron because it went from being, like, a cinematic experience to me the first time I saw it to, like, even watching it a year later, I was like, this is literal garbage. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, because there's still those moments in, like, with the CGI where it's, like, this the when everyone freeze frames at the beginning and, like, when they all rotate at the end, like, when it's the rotating shot of all of them in the church and it's a cool moment but it's so obviously artificial there's so much of it that it's distracting where the denny knows where to rein it in he knows where to use cgi and where to not use cgi yeah and where he uses it it's so not noticeable it just blends in with everything else nothing felt overly fake to me like everything was the cgi that i even really noticed was just like the architecture but like even there was there's a behind the scenes shot of the the scene where he's where Kay is walking through all of the um statues Mm -hmm. and that's all real I, I love that shot It so makes me much. so happy because it's like you didn't, a normal filmmaker would not have done that, but they just did that. And like, do you know the thing about going back to the scene where he's talking to Joy when she's like giant and naked in the... Yes. So I, you, How could I forget that? Because <laughs> you are a hot-blooded male. Um, <laughs> do you know the like behind the scenes stuff about that scene? 
No, please enlighten me. So this is paraphrasing, but I did definitely read this and it blew my mind. It made me so happy. They, they acted the scene at the same time. And what they did was they had, what was her name? I totally forgot her name. The actress. Anna Armas. Yeah. They had, they had on a stand in like a green screen thing just as is, and she was, they were projecting. Did they project her? They projected her image in front of Ryan Gosling, and that was what we saw in the movie. Wow. <laughs> it's like not. I... Uh, yeah. Because then it's like. Way to go, Denny. Well, because then it's like you see, because I, I knew that going in, and I, even when I would see it in the trailers, it would like give me goosebumps, because I'm like, you didn't have to do and that, but you did, did that, the, and The crazy so cool. thing about that scene, because like I, I had remember seeing that scene in trailers and yeah. stuff, and that scene doesn't come till very close to the end of the movie yeah and i was almost afraid it was cut because i really oh. wanted to see that scene because <laughs> of just naked parts not I'm, not I'm because kidding. of boobies i'm kidding just yeah yeah <laughs> but no it's like because I, I did too and i knew it would be in there at some point and it comes at this time that is so like it adds all this impact to it where it's just like oh fuck <laughs> like because she's already like his version of her has already died and then it's like he's he's at like the end of his rope and then he meets her again kind of in this larger context and i just i loved that but yeah just if you pay attention to that scene even like the way that the because they built the sound stage and then they projected her image in and then they had like the mist and the rain kind of going at the same time but so like any like difference in the image anytime where like the image kind of gets affected by the rain all just happened on camera like That's none amazing. of that was CG, and I'm like, Ugh, it makes me so happy because it's so I'm I'm I love when it's people. It's so simple, but I love it, when people go out of their effect, way to do yeah. really good practical effects. Yes. After fucking Avatar, I'm like, it, anytime we Fuck bounce you, back, Avatar, and you're papyrus. But no, anytime we bounce back from that, and I see people like creatively trying to use practical technology, it just like makes my heart so happy because it's like you're doing it right. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that to launch off another point in this review, uh, where the reviewer says, ordinarily I scoff a bit when people say the main business of a film is to be fun. But 2049 is anti-fun. Such a joyless slog. It suggests what Igmar Bergman might have gotten <laughs> if you ordered a 200 million. Well, shut up. Fuck you. This, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. This I, isn't fucking Transformers. I seriously. Like, I, I did not think it was joyless. I, I was engaged. It found like it had this like gentle subtle joy to it like in a I way think, that's i think not... just a general blanket moratorium on the word fun when referring <laughs> to movies i if i have to it's hear it one more goddamn time when the word fun is used to review something i'm gonna hmm. I, I i don't get violent i don't punch people but i but, will like but but is batman versus superman fun so this podcast has been fun <laughs> i'm gonna end it right now no we aren't i'm, t- I'm, sh- I'm sounding like every fuck boy who has gotten on both of our nerves you so. should shave your neck beard <laughs> seriously but yeah it's like i it's different levels of fun and i know that it's that this level of fun in this movie is not the blanket general audience's level of fun i know it's not the transformers or marvel movie level of fun but it's this weird... This is like David Fincher level fun. 
yes, but in a way that's not like dirty. I didn't feel dirty about it when it was. Well, I just funny because feel... did you see he was commenting on Marvel movies? Yes. But no, I mean, like, David Fincher is a good example because he is a director that I always have fun watching. I, his Netflix show came out, and we've totally slept on it, by the way. But yes. yeah, but it's like I, I have so much fun watching his movies, but then when they get over and it ends with Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box or the ending of Fight Club or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to drop in Gwyneth, but, Gwyneth. but no, when it when it ends that way, like it's an impactful ending, but then it gets over and you're like, I feel dirty because it's just like <laughs> this is a this is a dirty movie, but it's a fun movie to watch. But I feel that level of emotion with this, but I don't feel dirty. Like it's just like this comfort almost, which is a weird thing to say about a nihilistic sort of like world that this movie is set in but i felt comfort in the three hour runtime it was just like i'm happy existing in the world that they've crafted and i could watch it for forever agreed yeah Yeah. um as the national review says it isn't great storytelling i'm not even sure if it's good storytelling it falls in a small category of films whose scale and inventiveness must be savored on the big screen, but are something of a chore to sit through. It's not a chore. It's not. It's not. You're you just, just you're you just, just watching wanted more it explosions. Wrong. Seriously, it's like like I said, this doesn't feel like a chore. I love, like I said, just ex- being able to sit in that world and exist in that world and get like the lingering shots in the opening sequence and stuff where everything just feels so like detailed i loved that and i know it's yeah. not for everybody but it was totally for me this but... is and obviously after we saw, saw the box office we know this isn't a general audiences movie yeah which i don't care i'm like me neither I, this movie this is was not for, for everyone this movie was for me and i am I, totally okay with that like i love just marvel movies but those are made for everyone yeah this is not made for everyone. Yeah. And then it says the texture of Blade Runner is spellbinding. My guess and hope is that this will be the movie that finally wins an Oscar for Roger Deakins, the sublime cinematographer who has been nominated for the Academy Award for 13 times but has never won. He needs to win for this. God. I, Holy shit. I need this I, movie I, to there win. There were so many scenes that uh, I wanted as like my desktop background. Me too. I, I'm Once my laptop is fixed, I'm setting one of them as my desktop. Because <laughs> it's just like, it's so breathtaking and it like you said it's not claustrophobic it just lets it breathe and it he lets... likes those wide shots yes which i'm always a sucker for <laughs> me too those kind of where the 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 main subject is kind of small yes. in frame and you just i just i'm a sucker oh, so, for those. so you mean like every dcu movie where it ends like a renaissance painting yes that, exactly I that. love that trope. I want that to keep continuing because it is my favorite, <laughs> like, un- a happy accident that has occurred in all the DCU movies, where it's like <laughs> every the the main fight ends with this gorgeous Renaissance painting, and it makes my heart so happy. But yeah, it, I love. I'm such a sucker for that and stuff too. I love the. Uh, I don't know how much was practical or kind of done in post and color mm-hmm. grading, but when Kay is walking through Vegas, yes with the statues yeah. and just the because re- i forget it, danny was inspired by something directly it is some uh some photo series mm, where, with, mm-hmm. where it was all just kind of red I, I can't remember offhand i totally but i love that yeah i know what you're talking about we'll totally like link to it at some point if we can remember it before we post this but yeah it like 
And I love the significance of it because it sets this world, whereas in the original, like we said, it's this more claustrophobic thing because everyone's living amongst the replicants and the humans haven't really left yet. And whereas in this movie, you can kind of tell it's almost like this Wally quality to it, but in it really a, is in a more like not depressing way. But like this kind of thing of like, oh, they built me here and then they left me here. And then now this whole thing is kind of just mine and it's empty. And I kind of don't know what to do with myself in that space. And like you can kind of get that in Gosling's performance when he's like walking around some of the like those big shots like that and Mm -hmm. i just i love that it makes me so happy me too yeah i'm gonna Um, i just keep having it frozen on the age of ultron dig but i need to like (laughs) read more so there's uh there is one bit in this review that i i kind of agree with okay um a few lines of dialogue press the point that this news item being that uh replicants can't have babies Mm -hmm. uh this news item broke the world that it's a revolution in the making but to me there's no sense of excitement or even much drama attached to the development uh, i agree with it this kind of goes back to how i feel about the first one mm-hmm. we we don't see the world view on replicants like yeah we're, yeah we we're told that they're slaves mm-hmm. and everything i mean there are there are bits like in the playstation in this one where uh other officers call k skin job and yeah are mean to him and uh, racist so we get those bits but i never got the sense that's like oh my god if the world finds out that we can fuck replicants <laughs> and they can have our babies then the uh, chaos will take over i never got that sense i i got it in a subdued kind of way because the and which it, is a it, lot it, of the this movie and the previous well, i know movie. but it like it kind of it I it clicked with me. It took it took until the scene in the sewer for it to like really resonate and like click with me because I will be honest that first Jared Leto scene as as like perfect as that is, I did not understand what the fuck he was really talking about until yeah. way later in the movie and then it kind of hit me. It's like, okay, so if the the point wasn't necessarily this will change how people view the replicants or this will change okay. the, way that change society the way that replicants... goes. It will change the ability that we have to control the replicants because okay, once now, they're yeah. able to produce on their own, then we have no control over them. Yeah. So that I was the like... point. Yeah. Okay. Now, I... okay. Now you turn me around. Yay. Okay. <laughs> um, because I feel like that, that whole scene in the sewer with Kay. Yeah. Uh, I really love that scene because it's where it, his whole world falls apart. Yes. It's Which, so... Okay, we will we will link to a tweet that I sent Chris right before we started recording. It's from like Michael Green's Twitter, and I think it was Chris Miller from yeah, Chris Lego Miller. Movie, formerly Han Solo, all that stuff, um, saying that he he liked that it subverted the chosen one trope. And then and so Michael Mike, Green said he wanted to destroy yeah, it. Yeah, he goes, I wasn't trying to subvert it. I was trying to murder it. And then all these people there were you. like, yes. And Which it, is like, great because uh, you really felt for Kay in that moment. Yes. Because it's such a trope that we all kind of just accepted and never mm-hmm. really challenged before. Mm-hmm. So to have that moment where we he feels it, we feel it. And it's like, and it's so like, oh, you really thought you were the one? Oh, silly no it's this girl yeah i i'm glad that i like made sense of that plot line by yeah, cause the way because like that whole scene in the sewer i yeah it, it connects back to it and because they could easily not that i need it mm-hmm. or 
I would see it if it was made, but it kind of leads into it's like, oh, are that replicants are going to fucking, are they going to rise up and overthrow humanity here? Mm-hmm. Is well, that what's going to happen? Are we going to get into some Terminator territory here? But like, I love that it's just, it's, it's alluded to, but it's never gone into like uh, another, exactly. another yeah. person would have taken the third act of this movie and would have had it be the robot uprising. And that would have been exactly, in, but I love that. That's it's what just, I was afraid of too. Yeah. I love that. It's just a footnote and it kind of signifies like he's in over his head regardless. Cause Wallace is still out there and knows like all this stuff about Kay and how much he's rebelled and whatever. And also the uprising is happening kind of, it's starting to brew and also Kay just completely fucking threw away his life to (laughs) not be the chosen one. It's like, that's the whole thing of like, Oh shit. He's like, there's no way of getting out of this. Yep. And he accepts that. Yeah. Uh, there's another bit. Uh, how do you feel about this bit in the review? (laughs) The nature of what makes us human uh, aren't particularly well considered or new. <sighs> Meaning that the, they don't think the approach to humanity is new or done well. I disagree. Me too. And I think Good. we kind of touched that already with Joy mm-hmm. and the AI yeah. and uh, Kay's whole arc. Yeah, well, and it's like, even then, like, we don't really get that much of a baseline in terms of what this movie's version of human is, because everyone we deal with, aside from one character I will mention at the end of this sentence, but like every, pretty much everyone we deal with is either ambiguously a replicant or a human, or they're obviously a replicant or obviously an AI or whatever. We don't really get a baseline of like, if you achieved humanity, if you could be like the perfect average human, what would that be? Because Mm -hmm. the one human character we get is my personal MVP, Robin Wright, who (laughs) is, I just want a, I want a comic book about her character because holy crap, that is like everything of an intersect of my interest as a person rolled into my favorite actress. (laughs) So I was just like, God bless you, Denny. Like you did not need to do this, but you did this just for me. But so it's like, she's our baseline of, of what a human is. But even then she's so detached from the normal humanity. Yes. And it takes halfway through the movie for her to say, oh, well, we didn't have my, like, we didn't have your kind when I was little or whatever. And that's, like, the only thing that really establishes it. Because before then you think, oh, she's a replicant too. So that's what I mean is, like, it, it, I think it, it tackles humanity by not tackling humanity, by not having really noticeably human characters in this movie. Yeah. The cast is predominantly replicant, which is, I think, a testament to, to Denny, way yeah. to go, Denny, making me feel for all these robots. <laughs> well, like even like I did not know Dave Batista could do that. Me neither. Like, he has range. God damn! I he I love the Guardians movies, but he is like sorely limited in those movies. Yes. Because this was just so, like, he almost is the closest thing that we get of, like, a baseline of what a human is in this movie. Because he has, like, his whole world that he's established for himself with, like, I'm just going to farm my slugs and live my life in my shitty house and do whatever. (laughs) Like, he's the closest thing we get to that. And, God, that just that opening scene and everything about that was just so good. So good. Uh, So Um, what else in this review? So I think this will be 
the last bit. Okay. Um, so this is the bit I was talking about before. Okay. All right. So this last bit from the National Review uh, says, The filmmakers <sighs> seem content mm-hmm. to join the crowd that raises questions, though answering them is the hard part and has a dark vision. These days, who doesn't? I think this kind of touched. <laughs> I think this kind of touches on something we talked about last time, where uh, movies raising questions and answering them. Uh, we talked about it earlier in this one, even where, with with the Deckard, we didn't feel the need for an answer if he's a replicant or not. It just never came up. Well, and like we this, don't need it. And like in so in the first movie. Like when I watched the first movie and I thought this is it, they're not going to make a sequel. This is just a self-contained story. I was bitter that we didn't get an answer because it's like I don't know how to read this movie because there's two completely different contexts here. But like with 2049, you can you can make a reading like a clearer reading one way or another. It's not like this kind of very discreet thing that Ridley kind of so like pretended that he put through the entire movie depending on what cut you're watching because Denny's a better director yes but it's like in the story I think well I know I shouldn't say better I should say more nuanced more nuanced that is definitely true yeah I don't I don't fault I don't fault Ridley he's not horrible but my like there's definitely way less nuance in what (laughs) Ridley is capable (laughs) of but like even just the story, like you can kind of make assumptions one way or another. Like it, it will answer the question for you if you want it to. Whereas the original doesn't really exactly. do that. Like if you're going in wanting an answer, you can find it. But if you're not, then that's fine too. You're, yeah. You're not going to lose anything from it. Yeah. Well, and like my thing, the main thing I was groaning at in that sentence, I totally would not have picked this line, by the way, as the line that you were like, we could talk for an hour about this. <laughs> but my thing is the, the, this movie has a dark vision, but these days who doesn't have a dark vision of the Shut world? Up. It's like, Shut yeah. up, edgelord. <sighs> uh, no, because it's like, okay. <sighs> the last 30 seconds of this movie disproves that. It, this movie gave me this weird sense of hope that I was not expecting it to give, especially like as as it kept twisting and turning through all of these things, like I I, I was like God, I hope this isn't just like an edge lord nihilistic kind of ending. I had a feeling it wouldn't be, but then like once it gets to that ending and it just kind of like washes over you, it is well, it's hopeful. Yeah, it is more so than the original. Yes, well, part of that is also because that. It's- it's like, more the, it's not as emotional as this one well i know but like the original had the shitty emotional ending but like the first cut which i don't think i ever sent you that scene where it's like them no, yeah. driving in the car through the trees and then he has his narration and then the movie ends and it's such garbage but like this was so subtle and so poignant and like you you can take whatever reading that you want out of it but like it's very it's hard for me to get a nihilistic reading out of that it's kind of this thing of like here's a way to find hope even when everything else around you is absolute garbage which like and and i think now thinking about it i feel like that was kind of telegraphed in the movie yeah when uh k is at the farm place and he finds that little plant growing yes with the tree (laughs) 
Yeah. It's like there's death everywhere. And it's like, but oh, look at this life. little budding flower. There's still life. There's still life. There's still hope. You don't need to be that pessimistic about it. And you also need to have some object permanence and understand that people are going to be going into this movie and accepting the fact that this, the, the, the real world right now is shit. And if we, if this movie can teach us to find hope in the shit, then that is a beneficial thing. Even though yeah, that wasn't it what still, it, it intended. It could still be reflective of the real world, but not so much that it's like it's without hope yeah because it's like yeah i'm i'm just i was so happy when we didn't get the edgelord like shitty me ending too. i was i mean like it still is sad believe me but it's still like not to the level of everything's awful and you just have to live with it it was it was a much more satisfying happy ending than i had expected going in yeah it because going off of the first one it being very minimally emotional mm-hmm. i that was kind of my baseline for this one and it blew me away yeah god i'm just like and <laughs> that, that, that helped to be it it made me more engaged yeah so i appreciate it more and i i want to see this again me too. but i but with a little more time yeah I need to process it. But still. I also like need to see it again before it gets out of the theater because that was It needs to be seen on the big screen. I have had plenty of great experiences going to the movie, but sitting down in the theater that I saw this in, which unintentionally ended up being because I just picked the earliest possible showing because I was cheap and I needed to get to work at two. So I'm like, I'm gonna sit for the ten o'clock showing and even if it's in a dinky theater, who cares? It was the biggest fucking screen that I have <laughs> like sat in front of for a really long time. And I was so satisfied because this is the perfect movie for it. And just it was like the biggest and loudest and it's everything Edgar Wright says where it's just like go to the movies because it's big and loud and everything feels more emotional and that's exactly what this was. And part of being loud, uh, props to Hans Zimmer for the awesome synth soundtrack. Yes. Continuing the the themes and motifs from the first one. Yes, but also like so subtle, but so good. And like the the use of sound this review kind of shits on it it's like when in doubt denny turns up the volume i call that a cop-out or even cheating if the score is the only thing that makes yeah. this film momentous the script is too thin it's too thin I'm like fuck you yep. no. no fuck you no it like you're supposed to find those moments in the subtlety of it and like yes the music amplifies it fed to him. yeah it's like yes the music amplifies it but that's part of the experience is the i will weird say the, the, sound design. the music is one thing i enjoyed from the first one yeah and this one i i, I do enjoy that kind of synthy almost puts you on edge yes kind of riff because like, it's, it's unsettling there were a couple moments in this movie where it was genuinely like if i heard this music in my head in the real world i would be having a panic attack right now because <laughs> it's like so intense but and not it, like it really but not sets in like the, this atmospheric tone yeah but it's not in the traditional like the the what was it called that hardwick used to call it where it's like the dramatic like i, I forget what it was <sighs> the vuvuzela like the dramatic yes. vuvuzela was just like Bruh. like it's not like it would that. be like the jaws theme yeah it's so much more subtle subtle god this this year is just a fucking great year for like music and movies it really is because like we get like 
Logan and Guardians and Atomic Blonde and Baby Driver and apparently the soundtrack for Thor is fucking incredible. Like literally every review that I've seen of Thor, it's like a Twitter review, just <laughs> keep keeps saying, "Oh my god, the score is amazing" because it's Mark Mothersbaugh. So it's like all the nice. like '90s Nickelodeon kind of stuff. Oh my but god, I'm it, so in. It makes me so happy. I had forgotten he was doing the score for it, but it's like the perfect combination for that movie. But everyone was like, "The score is incredible," and you never hear like a casual reviewer say that. No. And I love that it's like movies like that and like Blade Runner and whatever are like making people notice that. That just makes yeah, me I'm, really I'm happy. I'm glad more people are being aware of music and soundtracks uh, within movies and the way they're used. So there was one other thing piece I read that for some reason that's the only thing I can think of right now. So what do you think happened to the dog? Oh, fuck. Kitty's dog? <laughs> yes. Shit. So there's, so there's this whole thing piece that like analyzes it because it's like, okay. So oh, either, if the dog's real. So, I, so is the dog real? Do you think the dog is real? Um, yeah, so we're talking about like when they're in Vegas and everything, yeah. right? Yes. I have no fucking idea because there were, there were times when um i was watching it and yeah. i was like is this dog cgi i can't tell is that intentional uh-huh. and then they asked like is the dog real and it's like oh shit i don't know was that intentional <laughs> it's like denny you're really mind fucking me I, here I and it's just like, a dog i was like i can't like i can't love this franchise more and then denny adds a dog he like gives Deckard a dog. I was like, I am so happy because that was exactly what I needed. Was like Deckard living this life of solitude with a dog that drinks whiskey. Like that was that just perfect. sounds like Harrison Ford's natural. Exactly. <laughs> I loved when the trailer first came out for this movie and everyone was like, Oh, so they had Harrison Ford. They tried to fit him in some sci-fi thing and he was like, No, fuck you. I'm wearing a t-shirt and <laughs> and cargo pants and I'm calling it a day. Thank you. And then it's just like that's what he wore the entire movie. But like, so there was this whole thing piece that was trying to figure out. So whether or not the dog was real, because I took that into account. And like when the first explosion happens, I was my I was like, Where where's the dog? Is the dog okay? What's what about the dog? So then, like, you, so there's the 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 think piece kind of posits that like Kay gets rescued by Mackenzie Davis and the whole like robot uprising and everything, and then the next scene is them in the sewer around a campfire with so the that, dog, but you don't see the dog. <sighs> did the did the replicants eat the dog? Hmm. <sighs> Danny. <laughs> Danny. I know. It's, I'm still like I read that a couple of days ago, and I still don't know the answer. And it like it doesn't bother me too much, but it still no. is just like I, I want to assume that that dog is just wandering around Vegas, just happy. Yep, that dog is perfectly a okay. That dog was so good. Uh, Yay! Oh, tasted good. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, and also going back to the music, another thing, the Vegas thing reminded me of the like. Oh my God, the Elvis, so, bit, all like, that, holy like, shit, there's, Sinatra. There's, there's like di- diegetic sound and not diegetic sound. And you can use that in such an intricate way within movies and TV shows and stuff. And I freaking loved how this movie like referenced the music within this movie. Like when, when they're fighting and then Deckard goes, wait, I like this song. And then they stop fighting. <laughs> <laughs> it was so It's perfect. such a human fight. It's so it is because it's just like we're not really super skilled at this. We just need to like not kill each other or like not not let the other person kill me. Basically, it's just survival. It's not really even like 
like super expert yes robot fighting or whatever but yeah just that scene and then the i'm gonna stop because i like this elvis song (laughs) and then the frank sinatra where it's just like this that subtle moment oh just this this movie i want this movie to win everything i'm like it really deserves it i god i just want it to get a best picture nomination even if it doesn't win it needs the best picture nomination for our final segment, if you're new to this, usually we will take the the lead actors and the director and kind of fan cast them for a comic property. I had not prepared for this one really, so you can go first. <laughs> Do you have any ideas? So for Denny, okay, I feel like his his style and sensibility mm-hmm. is too good and too nuanced for superhero stuff see almost but i, I but I, I i i do have comic ideas i've okay. give him anything uh by jonathan hickman or yes. grant morrison that is not superhero so from like give him the invisibles doom patrol mm. um from hickman i feel like give, he's too, he's give too him big. nightly news he's too or, big of a scale to do doom patrol yeah. Doom Patrol needs it, to be like a small, weird movie, I feel that like. That is true. Yeah. Or like, uh, so then like Hickman, give him Nightly News. Yeah. Pax Romana and Red Mass from Mars. Mm. Fucking great series, sci-fi uh, comics that you should read, people. Uh, <laughs> give him those to adapt because I would love for that. Okay. And then Ryan Gosling. Hal Jordan. Thank you. It, it it's right there. It's uh, easy. I'm like we all have been blinded by Army Hammer that like it never occurred to us. <laughs> but like he honestly, he can so play this swashbuckling. i like hero. Part of it is I have seen an embarrassing amount of Ryan Gosling movies because they are all good. I have yet to watch a horrible Ryan Gosling movie. And See, you... I'm just getting into Ryan Gosling. I'm Ooh. really late to the party. Okay, so we could... I thought about this. I floated around an idea. I was like, we could do like a Ryan, Ryan Gosling, Gosling month? Yes. Because, fuck yes. Let's so, do it. Yay! Okay, this makes me really happy. I thought you were going to be like, no, fuck that. No, let's just put a pin in it and try it later. Have but you like, seen his face? Exactly. I don't... Like, I, <sighs> sure, I'm going to look at that face for two hours every week. I have not been disappointed with a Ryan Gosling performance because it's like you can get... You can get I'm sure the, the ladies say the same, too. Eh. Hey. Like you can get the stoic side of him, and then you can get, like, um, Crazy Stupid Love, which is, like, the beginning of him and Emma Stone, like, being in movies together, is the best, like, you could just cut together a, like, 20-minute segment of their scenes in the movie, and it would have won an Oscar. Like, it's fucking incredible. <laughs> because it's, it's like, really self-aware and ridiculous. Oh, is that the one where, like, she's like, oh, fuck, you have abs? Yes. And they try to I've recre- seen that And then bit. they try to recreate the dirty dancing, like, jump and completely fail, and then they just go to his room and have <laughs> sex anyway, and it's great. But it's, like... Like that movie is great. He's even like he's great in the notebook. He's great. Um, have you seen I don't think you have The Nice Guys? No, I need to though, because oh, I okay. like Shane Black. We are covering that because it's Shane Black directing Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, and then the girl that played Betty Brant in um Homecoming, 
the the blonde girl okay. that did the morning news. She's yeah. Ryan Gosling's daughter, and she just swears like a sailor. And it's freaking incredible. It's so good. It's like I genuinely I watched that movie one morning because and I had very low expectations for it, and it became like one of my like favorite movies of that year. It was so good. So I'm like, we could totally do a Ryan Gosling month. This like makes me really happy. <laughs> I totally think him for Hal Jordan. But then and then this kind of goes back to what I was saying for Harrison Ford last week. But like Ryan Gosling could totally play Mr. Miracle. Like, oh, oh fuck. Now I want to right? get a new God's movie. OK, thank you. That was going to be my answer. Was Fuck. having him direct a new God's movie. I was so self-conscious. I was like, is Chris going to be happy or unhappy that I want Denny to adapt new God's because I really okay. want Denny to adapt new God's and have Ryan Gosling be Mr. Miracle. And then they just need to get Gwendolyn Christie to play big bar. Yes. To fucking make it, this happen. Oh my God. We're Warner drift Brothers. compatible. We are drift compatible. This. Yes. That was exactly my answer because <sighs> it's so perfect. It's so perfect. Uh, yeah, I need that. He, he can handle the scope. He can handle the esoteric nature of it. He can handle how many characters there are that you don't necessarily follow the entire movie. He can handle, like, no one... I don't really... I can't think of a lot of act, of directors that are working today that could properly handle that. But I would trust him with my life with him handling that property. Can, yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, all my reasons are the last hour so but yeah i denny needs to direct new gods oh yeah after he's done fucking around with dune uh <laughs> fucking do new gods um so yeah i think that about wraps it up for it us really here. does but like i said though and i mean it, it depends on whether or not you're on board for this i would be willing to watch this movie once a year and do this episode over again like we i pick, would be too like we pick three different reviews and we kind of just revisit this movie because i feel like we'll get more out of it so much more yeah god i love this movie i love this movie so much i'm so happy denny you like did everything i needed so if uh Denny wanted to thank you. Yes. Uh, where could he find you? Nice segue to stop my flailing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Hey, it's Jenna Lynn. Where can Denny find you on Twitter to thank you for your kind words? Uh, Denny can find me at the Chris Vito on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Well, so I think that's it for this episode. Otherwise, we are going to keep talking about Blade Runner until the end of time. <laughs> but yes. yeah. So until next time. Keep watching movies. Cells within cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. <laughs> cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. Interlinked within cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked within cells. Interlinked. Cells. 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 I'm just going to do a remix off of this. <laughs> I'm like, I have my, I am waiting to press stop. <laughs> cells within cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked.